0: Hi, I'm Tom Hill, and you are listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
1: Welcome to a milestone, episode 50 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Mole, your host, and this week we are speaking to one of the youngest coaches, if not the youngest coach on the professional tour, Tom Hill. Tom is the current coach of the Greek Maria Sicari, who is currently 20 in the world. Tom tells us all about his early days of tennis with his family relocating to IMG in Florida from the UK, about training at IMG and then onto his college scholarship at Pepperdine and eventually moving into the coaching world and how he got into the coaching world. It's a fascinating, fun story and it's great to get inside the head of pro tour coaches. Before we get started, a special thanks to our podcast sponsors, Head, who make our favorite rackets here at Functional Tennis. Okay, here we go. Let's hear Tom's story. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me
1: great to have you on board and can't wait to speak to you and learn a bit more about you and how you're such a young coach uh, working with some great players. So tell me before we get started, how has lockdown been for you and you work with Maria Sakari? How's that been, the communication and what she's working on and all that side of things?
0: Yeah, so I've honestly lost track of days of what exactly... I I actually went into lockdown as soon as I flew back from Indian Wells. So that was a little bit before the official lockdown in the UK. Um, So I've been in lockdown for a while. As for Maria, um, I think Greece also went into lockdown at around the same time as the UK. It was only around two weeks ago where she actually started practicing again. So I'd say kind of the way I was... it, It was more just kind of motivation for the last eight weeks in I know everyone's kind of going through the same area. Like, let's just kind of take it one day at a time. We don't know when the tour is going to be returning. Let's try and focus on fitness, home workouts, do some sort of, you know, uh, strategic videos, things like that. But it's also, it's very difficult. I think at the same time, also just having rest is good. Uh, I think players can get burnt out in the season, so... I honestly feel like the the rest is, is you know, is perfectly fine. Maria's actually started training again a couple of weeks ago. So now I'm actually able to do more of a tennis coach, you know, planning the practices. I obviously I'm in the UK. I can't get out to Greece to, to help her. But we have a, a hitting partner who's just kind of running through the program that I'm setting for her. And I think the as soon as she's been able to get back on court, motivation is obviously increasing it's still difficult because i don't think anybody has any idea of when tournaments are going to return it's a tough tough time for everyone but i think the fact that she's on court is is, is definitely helping as for me though it's um i've just been doing some home workouts and fitness uh, trying to work on like a few little side projects but to be honest I'm enjoying the time being back with my family because I'm on the road. Uh, last, last year, I was on the road for 42 weeks in the year. So just to be able to spend more than two weeks in a row with my family, I, I'm really trying to like make the most of that.
1: Well, 42 weeks is a lot. And plus, we're going to just talk a bit about your younger days, how you got into tennis and moved to the States. You've been away from your family for a long time now.
0: Yes. Yeah, um, so actually, I, I, yeah, I, was, I went to IMG Academy when I was, was 10. Actually, my family moved out with me. So I was with them. To be fair, like my my family sacrificed a lot for me. So even though I've kind of been all around the world, they have been with me a lot of the time. It's only really kind of since since university when I went to Pepperdine when I've kind of been a little bit more on my own. Yeah. No, so or, or the, I'm just kind of it's kind of been kind of the last, I'd say, six, seven years where I kind of maybe had a week with my parents here two weeks there three weeks like for three weeks is like pre-season that's like uh, the off-season period that's the most i get um but i'd say when i was like a junior and playing i was lucky that my parents sacrificed a lot and and they wherever i was training they 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 like relocated to that place
1: that that obviously makes it A lot easier when you relocate halfway across the world. What was it like moving as a 10 year old over to IMG? Was it like, were you just like, I just want to be a pro tennis player and I need to be here? Was that a decision you made? You told your parents, I need to get over there? Or was that something that they came to you with?
0: It's a kind of good question because I remember when I was younger, I was always debating between. Um, football or, or tennis, and I was a very good footballer. And I, I remember having a fight with my with my coach because I liked to play up front, score the goals, kind of be like, you know, the one everybody loved, the yeah. striker, it, the striker exactly. And and then he, we had some some problem in in the defense, and I had to play one game as a defender. And he, uh, although it's a crucial position in football. To, to a 10-year-old, I'm just kind of just at the back, just waiting. I, had, I was playing on a very good team. So I actually didn't have to do too much. And I wanted to be kind of in the action. So that kind of slowly lost my motivation with the football. But the other sport I was playing at the time was also tennis. And I remember I would have problems with my, with my school, that they wouldn't allow me enough time to, to go out of school to practice my tennis, to play my football. And I got to kind of a, a stage where I, I was starting to say to my parents, you know, I actually really enjoy tennis. I I would love to try and become a professional. And I think my parents, they I mean, they they battled hard with the school to try and see if they could get me an extra hour out, or instead of doing PE at school, I could go and do you know, get some tennis lessons. And it just it proved to be too difficult. And at the club that I was training at in the UK, Sully Haladin at the time, I'd actually been on a few camps to IMG Academy in Florida with the Sully Haladin kind of junior program. And about 10, 15 years ago, there were some, you know, great junior, junior players in the Birmingham area. And I, I just kind of remember that like, kind of saying to my parents, oh, it would be amazing if I could go train at IMG. My tennis would be so much better. And, uh, and, you know, my parents took like a massive sacrifice and, and you know, they, they let me, they, they gave me an opportunity to, to, to go and do it. And uh, honestly, it was the best decision I made for my tennis around that age at 10 years old.
1: And do you remember, was there any other players who made it through when you were down there? It's
0: funny you say that because obviously when I was 10, I don't think at the beginning stages too many of the guys went through. But what I found at the academy was the moment I was able to kind of make tennis kind of my primary focus. I was still studying and doing school, but I was able to spend four or five six hours, whatever I wanted on tennis. And my tennis quickly began to improve. I went up the ranks in the academy. Once you get to the higher ranks, then, then yeah, you start to recognize a few faces. I was about three or four years younger than the likes of uh, Gastel Ilias, Philip Krajinovic, bunch of, who else was there? Christian Harrison, Ryan Harrison, Yasutaka Uchiyama. There, there was a bunch of kind of, at the time, they were kind of playing the ITF juniors. I was three or four years younger, just like kind of getting ready to maybe start playing ITFs. But but yes, seeing kind of the journey that they made was great. And obviously at the time, when I was young, I'd see players like Taylor Dent, Tommy Haas, Sharapova. Even Kane Shikori was was nothing at the time. He was maybe 17 years old and just before he had his breakthrough. So it was inspiring to see these, these players at the academy trying to pursue the same dream that I had.
1: How much, just a side question, does it make a difference to a player having in a club, or be it, you're an academy, but even in a local club, if there's top players training there, it must make such a difference. The motivation of, God, I want to be like him. So you feel it is tough for players who train in clubs where they don't have, they don't see these players. It,
0: it works two ways. One is it's, it's so motivational, inspiring. Like you can watch any of the players I listed practicing and seeing how they do it, and then you go, two courts down and, and practice and you're like oh wow like i'm doing the same things as k let's say oh that's one that one way the other way is also sometimes it's a wake-up call in wow these guys are so good i really need to improve my game and i think that can also happen sometimes if you play at clubs where let's say what's the expression it's like big fish in a small pond or something like that where you, you can be the best player and you think you're fantastic but you're not testing yourself against players that are also top top players you, you, you believe that you're this top dog but the moment you go out internationally you suddenly realise oh I'm, I'm not actually as good as I thought I was
1: Yeah well th- that's why it's really important that you are playing tournaments as you get out of your comfort zone you go to different countries be it if you're in the States you're going to different states or if you're in Europe you're going to different countries and at, be it tennis Europe level or ITF level, you're getting out there and seeing how good the competition is and realising God i got to work a lot harder I'm not good enough yet so yes that is a key point and tell me, what would you tell parents who have a kid, either they want to go to academy or the kid wants to go and they have to relocate, they have to make a commitment like your parent did. What's your advice to somebody who, let's say, wants to go to IMG or wants to go to Mortogaloo?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it could be a little bit different now. Obviously, 10 years ago, when I was there, it was kind of like you have Academies, there weren't too many of them. It was voluntary maybe you think you had Chris Everett down in Boca, but there were, it wasn't like it was now. Where I feel like there's academies everywhere. I feel the worry of going to academies now, if you're not careful, the training is too generic. It's not specific enough. You're just doing just practices that are just kind of good for everybody, but it's not really specific enough to you. If I was telling a parent now, I would say yes, academies could be an option as long as you kind of are doing a training program that your your kid is the focus and your kid is not just kind of one of 20, 30 players in the focus. So maybe going to a smaller academy could be better. It's it's tough to say because I, I've been kind of out of the, the big academy. I, I, I've never been to Moritoglu, so I'm not sure how their, their training is, IMG Academy. Obviously, I've been there a few times, but it's I know it's very different to when I was there. I just believe it's so important as a junior and if I could kind of look back and, and kind of, if I was, you know, let's say 10, 11, 12, and what I know now telling myself then, I'd be saying, one, make sure I'm doing a training plan where, like I said, the, the practice is so focused on you and you're not one of many. And two is always test yourself against the better players. And the moment you can beat them, don't be happy about it. Find a better player and play the better player. Always look to play up, play up, play up, play up. And and you're going to lose. But I feel like it's the only way to truly get better.
1: Yes, no, I agree. And what do you say about playing down the odd time for the confidence and just to, you know, you're working on different things if you play down as well.
0: Yeah, I think playing down is is also, it's it's important. Um, It's a different pressure uh, when you play down and you have that kind of expectation to win. I think it's very important to do that. I think, for example, if I, if I look back at myself when I was playing like the ITF juniors, I would play a lot of kind of the uh, grade ones, grade A's, grade, grade Twos, And I'm thinking maybe if I'd done it again, it would have been better for me to kind of maybe play those every now and again, but perhaps play, play more futures and then actually play more grade fours and grade five ITFs because I'd get more of a, a pressure of having to win. And if I played a grade four, grade five, it's like if you don't win the tournament, it's a failure. And then you also play yourself in the futures where chances are, like if you can even qualify to the main draw, you've done incredibly well at that age. I feel sometimes what happens is you get too comfortable playing the grade ones, grade twos, grade A's. You win a few matches here and there, but you plateau very quickly.
1: Yeah, no, there's probably loads of ways you can look at it. We have talked to various coaches about juniors who do well under eight, like they're winning grade ones, grade twos, and they're not really playing futures, so they're 19 they play the futures tour and every week is a loss then and they can't handle it and it takes you know it could take years for them to overcome that so you're right if you can open up the mind to those games earlier on in your career it makes it a big difference and also go- going back to academies i feel like you just don't want to be like a, an excel number at a, an academy where you're just there to pay the bills
0: Exactly. I mean, if uh, what 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 I can say is the way academies also kind of make more money is they charge the private lessons on top. If you're just doing kind of the general academy program, that, if you use it the right way, that can be fine. But you're just going to have to know ahead of time that you're going to have to put more expense into private individual lessons. And if you do that, then maybe you can find a good balance of getting your general training, but also getting specific training.
1: True. Yeah. All right. The other thing is you just get a local coach and they're with you full time, as many hours as you want today. It probably costs you a lot less. You have the comfort of your family and hopefully there's good enough players around you that can jump in from time to time.
0: Well, that's actually what happened to me when I when I got to, I think I was about 13, 14 years old. I was actually told by one of the kind of like the head coaches from IMG. He's like, he said to me, he's like, Tom, I think you've kind of outgrown the academy now. Um you need to start kind of also what what you just said, I need to start traveling more and um, competing against kind of players on an international circuit. Uh, so that was when I just started working just with with just one coach. Uh, we train on just, you know, park courts, club courts if they let us play. But I, my main focus was just kind of travel and, and to compete against the best players out there to, to push myself. And that was when I saw a real kind of jump in my game. Because it was a wake-up call and I was able to focus solely just on getting myself better. And and
1: you can't hide in the groups. It's all you.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: One of the big advantages of going to an academy, be it uh, IMG, Saviano, uh, Mortogaloo, Piatti, any of these guys, is they've good access to US colleges, which is, I think, a great route for tennis players to take, because let's be honest, most tennis players aren't good enough to hit the men's game after junior career. So, that is really good. And you went to a great college in Pepperdine. Yeah. Was that your number one choice?
0: I was lucky that, obviously, because I was playing a lot of juniors, um, I I was in a position where I would say 95% of, of the schools had an interest in me. So, I I could kind of go wherever I wanted. I was actually planning on going to the University of Texas in Austin. Um, But it kind of, it fell through at the last moment because they wanted me to come in in January, redshirt for that semester, which was basically, I was on the team, I could practice with the team, but I couldn't compete. And then start kind of the following August as my freshman year. But I didn't want to do that because I still had the mindset of, I'm only going to college for maybe a year or two to compete and then get matches under my belt and then play professional afterwards. So in my mind, I was thinking, I don't want to just train for for six months. I want to go and compete. And that was when Pepperdine then came in afterwards and was like, we heard what happened with Texas. We'll have you come in right now. You can play in January. And I was like, okay, let's do it.
1: Great. And was Brett Massey the coach in Texas at the time?
0: Um, No. Okay. No, Brett Massey, um, he may have been the coach at Texas Tech.
1: Oh, Texas Tech. Sorry. Okay, my bad. Yeah,
0: no, the University of Texas. I'm trying to think. I know the assistant coach was Riccardi. Michael Center was the the head coach at the time.
1: We had uh, Brett on here 15 episodes ago. Nice man. And I just thought, I remember he said Texas. And then, yeah, there was another Irish guy, Bjorn Thompson. Bjorn Thompson ended up at Texas as well. But it was Texas Tech.
0: Yeah, I know know Bjorn really well because he's obviously... He, I don't know if he still lives in Birmingham, but he spent a, a, long, a long time living in Birmingham.
1: Uh, great. I'm, I'm not sure where he is at the moment, but he's probably still in the States, I'd say.
0: He could be. I've kind of lost touch with him.
1: So how how did Pepperdine go for you? So your plan was, I'm going to go here, I'm going to like train, get some matches in, and then we're going to give it a year and see, try and make the breakthrough to the pro tour. What happened once you hit Pepperdine?
0: Yeah, so... Like I said, like when I was 17, I was just outside the top 100 in the juniors. Uh, if you would have asked me then if I was going to college, I would have said absolutely no chance. Um, the the pro the problem was uh, right the beginning of my final year of juniors, I got a stress fracture in my lower back, and it, it it took out that entire year of of tennis. And it was at that point when I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should go to college just for a year or two, kind of slowly get my tennis back into it. I can play some matches. I didn't, I didn't respect the level of, of college tennis enough at the time. I was probably thinking, yeah, I'll just go in, get, just play a few matches, get it back, and, and then and then go pro. Um, but it, it, it's a difficult one because part of, like, like I said, why I went to Pepperdine was the immediate matches that I could play. If I look back, I probably should have gone to Texas, used the first semester to, to learn about college learn about how how to actually study and play tennis because I'd spent the last kind of four or five years just doing homeschool online school so that was a difficult transition of now I'm you know taking oh, yeah I mean tough lectures taking classes so really I, I was a little bit like geez how do I study for this
1: <laughs> yeah I can imagine it'd be tough
0: yeah my tennis then was taking a hit because I was so stressed with the schoolwork and you know that that was when if I look back I'm not saying because I don't regret going to Pepperdine. To me, like if I do it again, Pepperdine, I loved every second of it. But maybe the actual, if I'd sat out for six months, just trained and learned how to do college tennis could have helped me more. But yeah, as for the, I was, I was very naive going into college and and what the level was like. I kind of assumed I would go in and even though I'd been injured for a while that I would immediately come in, make an impact. And then i I play for a year or two and then get back on the Futures Tour because still in my mind, I was thinking, if you want to make it, you you, you can't make it by going to college.
1: And that opinion's obviously changed now for you.
0: It's it's changed, but it also hasn't changed. Um, okay. It's I believe college is a great place if you're kind of... I think you have to be very real with yourself when you're 17, 18 years old and what your level is like. So I was playing the same year group as Nick Kyrgios, Kyle Edmund, Borna Corridge, Sean Chung. Like I had a very strong year group. And like I said, when I was playing the grade ones, grade A's, I was maybe making quarterfinals, but they were winning it. I think you have to be very true to yourself in what level are you really at? Because for those guys, it made total sense to go and play pro. They were the best players in the juniors. They were They were the top dogs. I think if you're a little bit behind that kind of where I was, you're still a top player, but you're just not quite the elite, then college is a, is, a, is a great place to go to. Now, the problems that I see with college is is picking where you go to. And you can't pick a program based on what rank the score was, uh, the location, how good the degrees are, because then ultimately your your tennis is not your, your main focus. It's very difficult, but I believe if, if you truly want to come out of college tennis with any chance of playing on the professional tour. I have said it before, but the most important thing is you go to a program where you believe that the coach is a top tennis coach. And if I was kind of saying to, let's say, 17, 18-year-old boys and girls that wanted to play professional tennis after college, the two most important things you can find out is is one, um, kind of like the coaching style of the coach. To do this, you may have to ask kind of the players on the team, you know, nowadays with social media, it's easy to send an Instagram DM or Facebook message. You, you, you have to find out how, in, in a nice way of saying, how good is the coach? Is he a coach who's just more like a manager? Or is he a coach who's like, you know, on the course, really investing time into improving the player? And the second thing I would want the player to find out is what is the actual program like? Because, like I said, with academies, you can go to colleges where the program is. You've got ten to twelve guys on a team, and it's just general. Okay, guys, let's hit through the middle. Let's hit forehands cross. Let's hit backhands cross. Let's take some volleys. Let's play some points. Like it's so, it's so general. It's it, that's not gonna. That's just going through the motions. There's no purposeful practice. And I believe the the players that have, for example, Cameron Norrie, also in my year group, good friends of Cameron, and he went to TCU. And from what I've been told. Uh, the coaching at TCU I believe it may have been the assistant coach who Cameron was telling me I can't remember but obviously both the coaches were were top coaches but Cameron was like getting proper specific training to improve his tennis and I believe if I believe college can be a great route if you have this kind of focus going into college if that makes sense
1: yeah no it totally does and I'm sure that is more than half the battle is finding. A place that is for you, that you will connect with the coaches and that the coaches will, you know, can get the most out of you and you can learn the most on on the court and off the court as well. That's from what I heard of some of my friends who've gone to the States is their coaches have been great and as well as being great on the court, they also help them so much off the court.
0: Exactly. And, and it's a time in your life when you, you have just as much to learn off the court as you, you have to do on the court. But as another thing you could also go. You should also ask the players on the team how good is the coach during matches at kind of giving you strategic game plans. That that's another thing because sometimes in college tennis you can go to places where where the coach is kind of like go go play your match. If you if you win, I love you. If you lose, you might not play the next week. Yeah. Where you you, wanna, we- you want you want you want a coach where the kind of the outcome is secondary, but the primary thing is okay. You're playing this person okay, their backhand is their weaker side, so let's look to play of height to the backhand, stretch him to the left, and then create openings to the right, or let's be serving to his body to then open up the plus one to his backhand. You, you want that sort of coaching. Um, instead of, if you win, I love you. If you lose, mm, go and start looking for another university.
1: Or start doing laps for the next week.
0: Exactly, exactly. There's a whole, it's a whole different kind of approach to it.
1: Yeah, and, and tell me, so what do you tell a parent also, and now I know before we asked about the academy, but somebody who should my coach go to college, do you tell them, look, if the, the kid has to be true to himself? And I know for young kids, teenagers, it can be hard to admit, I'm not good enough. Everybody believes they're good enough. And only the mature ones would kind of say, okay, well, look, I'm not good enough here. I'm going to go to college. And obviously the ones that, aren't, the ones that are not great, you know, the bottom of the pile, I think it's an automatic college route. But it's probably the ones that, you know, should go to college, have to be told to go to college. What's your angle there?
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like, like I said, if you're like elite, elite, if you're like top 20, top 25, junior, 25 is even borderline in the world. And you're winning the top tournaments, then I believe you've, you've earned the right to, to, to go out and, and give, it, give it a shot and take, take the gamble. I think other than that, I really think you should go to college just because the level of college tennis is incredibly high. Um, and it's growing every year. Every year, I see more and more top players going. It's just making sure, like I said, if you do go and you still have aspirations to play professional tennis afterwards, that you ask the right questions because it's so easy to go to a place. And, you know, I see all the time where it's like when, when we were at university and we'd have recruit. I was at Pepperdine, obviously, and then the recruits would be coming on visits. And the questions they'd be asking were like, what are the parties like? Uh, you know, how, what's the ratio of girls to girls to guys? And it's like, OK, yeah, these are questions that you should ask yourself. But if you still if you have if you have true true goals to, to play professional tennis, there are different questions that you should be asking.
1: Through the prayer, they're going for the wrong reason. So before we move on from this college tennis, do you remember a guy at San Diego called Kieran Fitzgerald?
0: I did. I played him.
1: Did you? How'd you get? It? He's a good friend of mine, and I was telling him
0: I. I think I played him twice. I think I won one, lost one. But no, he, he was a good player. He, he was he was a fiery. He was like energetic. I I, I remember because San Diego was like Pepperdine's, um, like biggest like rival, enemy. let's say yeah. enemy. Uh, and I always remembered him because like you know he, he I mean he one he was a, he was a good player, but two like I kind of I saw his kind of energy and passion, and he was kind of like he, the leader of that San Diego team, so. Yeah, I, I I I don't know him too well, but I I I definitely remember him.
1: Yeah, no, he says he he says he remembers playing. Yeah, I didn't we didn't talk too much now, but uh, I'll get the full I'll get the full lowdown off him during the week. But he's a good guy, and yeah, you're right, he's really fiery. But you need people like that on your team. So moving on to you didn't go pro, did you go straight into coaching? What happened after university? Did you make a decision to go the coaching route?
0: Yeah, so I was kind of, I, I guess, in, in, in looking back, I, I was lucky. that I had a, a few ATP points when I was 17, right before my injury. So um, I'd already played a few futures. I, I kind of had an idea of what the level was like. And also, after my freshman year, I also played some futures in that summer. Just because I was still had goals of playing professionally, I wanted to still kind of test myself and see my progress. And that, that helped me because once I did graduate, I knew, I knew deep down. To be fair, it was it was a year before I graduated. It was probably my my junior year when I I I kind of came to terms with the fact that I, once I graduate, I'm not going to be trying to pursue playing futures and and everything like that because I knew deep down that my level wasn't wasn't good enough. I believe if I, let's say, had an unlimited bank account, I could go and travel and and collect points. I could maybe get anywhere from like four hundred in in that range but like you said that doesn't make any money you're not even good enough to to go play to play doubles of that money it's it, you, you literally lose money at that ranking so i i i told myself okay uh, as soon as i graduate tennis is over and i had no plans of coaching coaching wasn't i i <laughs> you could you could ask anyone that knows me up until i graduated i'd never once said i wanted i'd want to be a tennis coach it's it's something that literally came up out of the blue um, I was taking some summer classes to to finish my my marketing course, and t- the tennis season had finished, so I was kind of trying to have a couple months just experiencing what it was like as a normal student. So I'd put my rackets away in the wardrobe; they were done; they weren't ever coming back out. And I was just partying every night. And I remember as a as a bar in Santa Monica one night. It's pretty late. It's like one two one two in the morning, and I'm with a, a, a teammate, and we bump into a An ex teammate from a few years before. And he was kind of like, you know, asking me, what are your plans? What are you going to be doing? And I was kind of in the mindset of, you know, I'm probably going to go to law school. Like, I I took my, although I had a a difficult first semester kind of reteaching myself how to study, I ended up graduating with honors. So, like, I took my studying kind of my academics seriously. So I was saying, you know, probably go to law school. But looking back, that was probably more of, a I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life, so I'll just keep studying. Um, (laughs) And then he goes to me, have you ever considered being a hitting partner? And I said, not really. And I said, to be honest, there's probably not too many hitting partner roles out there anymore because obviously Sharapova has a hitting partner and Serena Williams. But apart from that, there's not too many anymore. And he said, well, this agent... Uh, keeps keeps texting me asking me to do some stuff, but I don't want to do it. Do you want me to give him your number? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, give him give him my number. I I wasn't expecting anything from it. A uh, few weeks later, I'm just going into my final exam, and I get a text from Max Eisenbud, uh, Sharapova's agent, uh, asking if I could come hit with Sharapova. And it's it kind of all started from there. So then I ended up going out to IMG, I practiced with Sharapova. Um, right hit went like the hits went well uh max then had me stay at img hitting with all of the uh, img players and before i knew it i was you know l- less than 48 hours from finishing my last exam i'm suddenly at img academy where i was as a kid uh, at 10 um practicing with you know 15 different top 50 wta players
1: you've come full, full circle
0: full circle
1: at functional tennis we are all about helping your tennis game get one percent better every day that's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag the functional tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions it includes goal setting quotes pressure tests and more it's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game to learn more visit functionaltennis.com. You finish, your, you finish your exams then and then you go straight back to IMG working full-time as a hitting partner.
0: Yeah, so like I said, I was I was doing the hitting partner. Um, I actually wasn't, wasn't getting paid. It wasn't a job. It was more just, I was kind of still, I think once you graduate, your, your F1 visa still allows you maybe like 30 days or 60 days in the United States. So I was like, well, I might as well just use up these days, have a bit of fun before I go back to the UK. So it was more just a, keep myself in shape, Um, just have a bit of fun. Like, you can't turn down hitting with Sharapova. That's like, to any kind of junior, even pro tennis player, if if you got the chance to hit with Maria Sharapova, you you don't turn it down. (laughs) Definitely not. You do it. Yeah. So for me, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, Although I didn't get paid, like I wasn't even looking to get paid. I just enjoyed doing it. It was tough. I was, it was, if you think about it, it was Florida summers. The humidity was ridiculous I remember one time I was I was heading serves to Laura Robson and I was probably like my fifth hour on court and I remember one of the serves I threw the ball toss up and, and I completely like blacked out for like a second and I was like oh geez I need to like <laughs> stop uh, luckily we only did a couple more serves and that was it but you know it, it was it was working hard but I wasn't doing it to look for a coaching job it was more just like I said use the days that my visa was allowing me and then uh, I would go back home and and figure out the next step.
1: Uh, what did you learn anything from hitting with Maria, for example?
0: Yeah, what, one of the the things I learned from Sharapova was like her professionalism uh, to practice, and it was one of the things that stood out so much compared to let's say college, because college it was so much we were just all hitting and messing around. They were, they were, we were having good practices, but it wasn't like the same focus as let's say with Sharapova. I was told by the head of i m g at the time, look she's going to come she's not even going to say hello or anything she's just going to be in her own zone you're going to practice, but I promise you once the practice is over she'll she'll be really nice to you and i was I was thinking, okay, that's fine, like whatever i'm just just coming to to hit at the time. I was thinking just let's hope i don't miss too many balls. That's kind of what, what I was thinking <laughs> the fear the fear and that's exactly what happened she she came she um you know, there's a lot of people watching, but they were kind of like behind ropes quite far away. And she walked, she could tell that I was hitting with her, but it was just, she put her rackets down. She organized her stuff. She started warming up with her fitness coach. I was just kind of there just chatting with Sven because her coach was Sven Grondeld at the time. And Sven was telling me what how the practice is going to work. And then before you know it, she's on the baseline and, and we're hitting and it's just total focus. The practice is like, I think we played for about an hour and a half, but... It was just no words, just total focus, just intense hitting, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like I understand how she's been at the top of the game for so long. If if this is how her like attention to detail, her focus, her preparation is just on point. And then as soon as the practice finished, she was the nicest person ever. She she sat down and chatted with me for 10, 15 minutes just about my life before she let fans come and sign autographs. And for me, I was like, "Okay, this is kind of." The difference between her on the court training, and then once training training finished, she kind of like almost like pressed a button, and she just became like relaxed Maria, and it was it was interesting to to, to learn from that. Such so when I was only twenty one, twenty two years old,
1: it's great for them to have that switch where they can be in focus mode and then chill out, rather than being super focused all the time where it gets a bit worrying then they come across obnoxious and rude which you, you see from time to time some players
0: well, the, the thing was I'd never seen it before because even, even when I was 17-18 I'd, I'd hit with Fognini practiced a lot with Fognini I'd practiced with um, Juan Monaco Brzezicchi uh, 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 Federico Delbonis a lot of top players but none of it compared to, to the practice with Shara Pogres for like the intensity to the practice
1: I can imagine a Fognini practice now is just he just slags everybody from what i've seen
0: <laughs> well no the thing, the thing with Fognini it was always there always had to be some sort of point situation in play and something on the line and you know it, he didn't want to ever do drilling, so it was like if we did do a drilling, he'd find a way to turn it into a tie break and put like a coke or a fanter on the line it was that's he was always like that
1: but at least he knows he knows what gets him motivated, and that's, <laughs> that's important true. so Moving from from my bit of research, Danielle Collins was the first girl you worked with in the coaching role. Yeah,
0: so it all kind of started once I was the hitting partner at IMG. I actually wasn't allowed to hit with with Danielle. Or well, I was allowed, but she was kind of. I was allowed to hit with her after I'd hit with the IMG girls. So I was told by IMG that um, they wanted me to hit with all of their IMG clients. Danielle was allowed to practice at IMG, but at the time she wasn't signed. She just recently graduated. She was around 200, 220 in the world. And because she was from St. Petersburg and it's only like half an hour from IMG, they let her use the facility. And Danielle would see me practicing with these other girls. And she'd always ask me, like, can I practice with you and can can, can we do stuff? And um, it was then I kind of I'd hit with like Sabine Lezicki, Sharapova, Laura Robson, and then I'd find time then to hit with Danielle as well. But what I enjoyed hitting with Danielle was all those other players that I mentioned, I was just like a hitting partner. I was pretty much treated as someone who there can't miss a ball, runs side to side for as long as they wanted. If I was serving slice wide on the deuce side they expected me to make every single service if I was some machine um yeah but, but when I hit with Danielle it was a lot more kind of she wanted my input on her game she wanted to know how her ball felt when I was hitting if if there's anything I felt from feeling this ball what she'd recommend if we played some points it was if she did something and I felt it wasn't really hurting me how could she make it better? And she, she gave me a lot more kind of input into her game.
1: And did she have a coach at the time yeah, there? She
0: was working with her her college coach. So when she graduated, the coach at the university stopped working at the university and became Danielle's private coach. And he was a, a, a really nice guy. Uh, he had some problem with, uh, I, I can't remember if it was a visa problem or a house problem, but... He couldn't go to Japan for two tournaments in October 2017. And so Danielle asked me if I would would go with her and help her out. And I said, absolutely. So this was kind of... The timing worked out great that once uh, my days were about to end on the F1 visa and I had to leave, it worked out that I was then able to go and do these two tournaments with uh, Danielle in Japan. And so I went to these two tournaments. I, I knew that there was no potential job after afterwards. It was just let's just go have some fun. I'm going to Japan, like like watching Danielle computer Like at the time it was her first two WTA events that she played. She was in qualifying. And and we 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 connected really well. We had a lot of fun together. After the two tournaments in Japan, though I had to go back to the UK, she told me she'd love to carry on with me, but she, you know, she had her 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 current coach. And I was like, No, no, I completely understand. I've really enjoyed these these two two weeks and we kind of just remained friends from that. And it was around, around Christmas, around like December 24th, maybe around that time when Danielle uh, FaceTimes me and she's like like crying and, and, and saying that she's had a fallout with her coach. They stopped working. She's flying to New Zealand in the morning and she needs somebody. And that was when I said, well, are you looking for a hitting partner or are you looking for a coach? Because I didn't, I didn't tell Danielle, but I'd actually accepted her an advertising job
1: okay and,
0: well, <laughs> and she was like no no i'm look i'm looking for a coach like if if you work with me you'll be my coach and I, for me that was like a, a, a big question to ask because i knew if i was a hitting partner i was pretty much just going to be running around hitting balls and
1: picking up balls there was,
0: yeah i didn't want to do that but if if i was going to be given kind of her trust to to make her a better player, to have input in her game, to kind of give her strategies and have her, you know, execute these and brainstorm with her and stuff, then for me, I was willing to do it. And she said, no, I would be her coach because she really enjoyed the few tournaments in Japan and, and let's give it a shot. And so we did. And, and you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell the jobs straight away that yeah. um, I, I wasn't going to be there. I just told them that uh, could I have two weeks holiday to go to Australia.
1: <laughs> let's see how Australia goes.
0: Let, let's I, that that was it yeah let's see how australia goes
1: what a pivotal moment in your life there because look you're taking a job office job you're like you come from this tennis you mentally probably prepared i'm going to take this office job and all of a sudden you get this call and you're like oh my god like i'm I'm sure looking back now do you look back at that moment and go wow
0: yeah i mean i look back and think how, how my life could be so different if i had just told daniel sorry i've actually accepted a job but I just something told me deep down that I'll always get another office job. I may never get another chance to travel and coach a, a top professional tennis player. Even though at the time Danielle was like 180, I was still like, you know, I'm, go, I'm going to Australian Open. I'm thinking, wow, I've never done that before. That'd be amazing.
1: So how did that go? Uh,
0: you mean the, the, the working with Danielle? The, yeah. Yes, um, so we I got unlucky. The first tournament in New Zealand, she 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 caught something. Um, on the flight to New Zealand and she ended up being really sick and and we we had to pull out of the first tournament and I remember thinking wow like I've only got news I I was thinking to myself okay I'm going to do the tournament in Auckland Australian Open and from those two tournaments I'll make a decision whether I tell Danielle look I've accepted a job or I just carry on with Danielle and I tell the job sorry I'm I don't I'm not I'm not coming to work and so the first tournament when she has to pull out sick I'm thinking oh geez like now I'm gonna have to base this just on on one on one tournament. And so she she plays uh she ends up losing in the last round Qualies of Australian you know, open which at the time she'd never won a WTA um WTA match even in qualifying. So she she was at the time like quite happy with that result. So I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna carry on with Danielle. So I sent an email the night before I was supposed to be starting the the advertising job saying that I wasn't coming in. And they never replied, which was expected. Yeah,
1: just don't come knocking Um, again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I definitely will never be allowed to work there again. And so then I carried on with Danielle. And actually the first tournament then after I sent that email was Newport Beach, the WTA 125K, and Danielle won the tournament. And it was kind of from then that, you know, Danielle had that rise where she went from 180 in the world to 35 in the world. So,
1: Wow. And how long did you work with Danielle for
0: um we stopped at Wimbledon that year so it was about eight months until
1: and was was there any reason why you stopped working with her
0: uh yeah well <laughs> she felt that I I had taken her game as far as I could being that at the time I was only 23 years old and um, she wanted someone more experience so I mean I understood I understood her, her her reasonings but at the same time I was thinking you've only lost like five matches this year I've helped you get to the you know top 40 in the world like yeah. why are you wanting to stop this but take a chance it, on her, me. I, but, but then I told her look it's your career Um, I want you to you to make the decision
1: oh well so th- I'm sure it still would have been tough for you I know you say you understand what she was saying but you're like come on trust me here keep trusting me we'll get up we'll we'll crawl up even more
0: yeah I mean I remember I remember when she called me telling me that, I remember thinking like I was I was so caught off guard because I guess sometimes if your players losing a lot, maybe you can kind of anticipate this yeah. happening. But I think Danielle was like thirty five wins and five losses for for when she'd been working with me, and I was thinking like it just didn't cross my mind at all that she was going to be getting rid of me.
1: Yeah, they're the biggest shocks. They're the biggest <laughs> shocks at all, and so. All of a sudden, were you thinking, oh no, I'm going to have to ring this advertising agency again? Or, or were you like, there's other players out there. I'm, I've done a good job. I've built up a little good reputation in a quick amount of time. What was your thoughts?
0: Uh, I, I thought my coaching thing was over again. I was like, okay, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm like 22 or 23. I, I honestly didn't think any other player would, would, would take a chance on me. And I remember telling my mum, I was like... Yeah, I think I think this could be it. I probably have to go back to the UK and start looking for looking for a job. And then shelm was just saying, like, no, just just wait a little bit. Like I'm sure somebody will reach out. And within within, within twenty four hours I I posted something on Instagram just kind of thanking Danielle for the for, for the experience, the journey. And um Within 24 hours, I had about five job offers and I was like, whoa, this is this is crazy.
1: This is great. And did you have an agent or anything? We just
0: flying solo? No, no, no. It, everything was just done through Instagram direct message.
1: And so when did... Was Maria one of those five who contacted you?
0: Um, not Maria directly. Her, so Her people. Ma, uh, Maria's agent, he has an assistant um, who I'm very good friends with. So he... He saw my post on Instagram. He then called me up was saying, Hey, I saw that you stopped with Danielle. You know, what are you still looking for for a new player? And I said, Yeah, what did you have in mind? And he said, I can't tell you at the moment, but I'm but Lawrence Frankopan is going to call you. So then about half an hour later, Lawrence called me. He asked me um, if I would be willing to, to be the assistant coach for Maria Sakari. And I said, Abs- absolutely. And that was when he then said, Okay, Thomas Johansson's gonna call you. Then he called me like twenty minutes later. I'm thinking, <laughs> Wow, I'm now speaking to Thomas Johansson. Right. <laughs> and the the way it worked out was Thomas Johansson was Maria's like head coach, full coach, like that he was only doing around let's say twenty-five to thirty weeks and Maria wanted someone for the the remaining weeks. And at the time I was like, This is such a just a, a great a great opportunity, one for me to work with, you know, uh, Maria at the time was around just inside the top 50. And I was also thinking, wow, I get to learn as well, like proper coaching from Thomas Johansson. I was thinking, this is, this is, this is a win-win. Um, and then I found myself for 48 hours after sending that Instagram post on a flight to Greece.
1: Wow. That's no messing around there. And so what year was that now?
0: This, well, this was the week after Wimbledon 2018.
1: Well, so you're straight, straight over to Greece. It was Thomas in Greece at the time?
0: No, so I think Maria was kind of looking for somebody um, because Thomas did a lot of the traveling to the tournaments, but then there was a lot of weeks where she was kind of in Greece and she needed like, extra attention during those weeks. And, you know, Tom, Tompa has his family and stuff and he couldn't commit to, like what I was doing with Danielle, like 40 plus weeks um and so originally it was i was going to fly out uh to greece just for 10 days to help maria practice for san jose which was her next tournament and it was more like a trials to see if we kind of connected well had chemistry in, in training there was no guarantee of full-time work afterwards but after about four or five days of hitting maria asked me if i would you know want to to go to two tournaments with her to kind of see if we connect well at tournaments so the two tournaments were san jose and then um, montreal and the first tournament in san jose together she ended up making the final so that was that was special and uh, it it's actually that tournament which was the first tournament coaching any player after danielle i actually had maria play danielle in the semi-final oh nice <laughs> well, yeah. so, i mean it was it wasn't nice at the time I no was i know like, oh i know God. oh my gosh i remember looking at the draw because i knew danielle was going to be there and i remember like, when i first saw danielle i, I went and gave her a hug and i was just trying to be like just nice and i saw the draw and i was like okay like if everything goes to plan the earliest maria could potentially meet danielle was the semis and i was thinking what are the chances they both make the semis i was like there's like Top players like Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Konta, Azarenka. I think there's a lot of good players in this tournament. For so them to both make the semis, this is a long shot. And then next next minute, I know like yeah, I'm ticking off. Maria wins. Danielle wins. Maria wins. Danielle wins. Maria beats Venus Williams. Danielle beats Azarenka. I'm like, oh my, this is going to happen. They're going to play in the semi.
1: No, you're hiding in the players' box.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then like there was then so much hype behind the match where it's like you know, the the press get involved and they're saying like, oh, this isn't going to be an interesting match because Tom was coaching Danielle, and now he's coaching Maria. And I was thinking, I'm not going on the court. It's it's Maria versus Danielle." But yeah, that was, I would have preferred that not to happen the first tournament back.
1: But at least you got it over and done with. True. true. And so does Maria spend much time in the gym, by the way? Any of the videos I see, she is like chiseled. Her shoulders are... Guys would be jealous of her shoulders. It must be... A,
0: she's such a hard worker. She, she obviously spends a lot of time in the gym, but she doesn't spend like... She's not like on some bodybuilder training plan. No, she, she, she trains very tennis-specific with her fitness coach, Georgos Panagiot. Uh, I mean, he's, he's like unbelievable.
1: We've posted his videos over last... Especially pre-season last year. He had some great videos up there, really good exercises.
0: I mean he, he's such a great guy they have unbelievable chemistry together they they work they work hard like I see like and even when when we do preseason in Dubai like I sometimes try to like get involved and do some stuff with them and I'm like wow like this this is tough this is really really tough um but, but the thing with Maria is like it's not she doesn't just put the hours in on the fitness she puts the hours on the tennis court and she's tennis fit and she's fitness fit and she's for her it's it's it's, it's her her physique is like a byproduct of her just working hard day in day out on on the court, off the court.
1: Yeah, no, I, it's it's visible, obviously, just by looking at her. And obviously she's a, she's a great player. What have you learned so since working with Maria?
0: Good question, because one of the things that I, I always admire about Maria is kind of her willingness to practice things that she's maybe uncomfortable practicing, if, if that makes sense. You see a lot, of, a lot of players who they know kind of how they play. They like, let's say they've got a really good forehand and they just keep practicing the things that make them look good, feel good. But one thing I always kind of admire about Maria is if I tell her like, okay, we need to improve this. She, she she does it. And it's like, okay, it might not work at the beginning, but she does it again and again. and she And then before I know it, like we've been practicing three or four days of what I felt was a weakness. And now she's turned it into like a strength. And I'm thinking, one, I respect how fastly you've just kind of taken on this challenge. And two, like, geez, how quickly can you learn these, these new skills? And I just, the reason why that stands out so much to me, because I remember myself, when I was playing, I'd be thinking, oh, like, let's say, I, I don't want the person to play to this side or a certain side. I would just be kind of make sure that the side that's my favorite, I just do a lot of hitting on that. And I, I, I might look good on the outside, but really I've got a big flaw in my game if someone actually realized
1: yeah, it's a bit like don't hit it to my backhand internal battle. No, yeah. don't hit it there.
0: <laughs> exactly, but for argument's sake, if what you just said—if if, if you—if I—if I said, "Oh, Maria, your backhand's not very good," she's like, "Oh, really? Okay, let let let's work on it. I'll show you this later." And it's kind of like that sort of um, that that mindset that she has. That for me, like for a coach, it's a dream. It's an absolute dream working with her. She she works so hard. She puts hours on the course. She's willing to practice things that need practicing and she's a perfectionist and all all these things like for a coach it's you can't ask for for something better.
1: I think the majority of top tennis players are perfectionists not all of them but I'm sure most of them really are when it comes to the nitty-gritty stuff and trying to get the most out of their game.
0: I mean that's true but the thing is there's I believe there's two types of perfectionists there's the perfectionist that are the ones who, like you said, they want to improve all the little aspects of their game or they get frustrated by these aspects. But the difference is the perfectionists are the ones that make it to the top. When they have this sort of imperfection, it motivates them to improve it. Where there are other people who are perfectionists, they get more frustrated at not being able to do something and it drives them insane. But there's not really a drive to improve the imperfection. I've, when what I found of all the top, top tennis players is they're all perfectionists, that they have this drive that if they find a part of their game that's not perfect, they work on it and work on it until it, it becomes a strength.
1: And yes, that's a good point. And probably they want people around them who are not afraid to to tell them, you know, what's wrong or what they can improve on, because I'm sure there's many coaches it's the player who pays the bill, and they're probably afraid to tell the players the real truth at times. Is that a true statement?
0: Absolutely. If 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 you're if you're like do they call it yes man or something? Yeah. If you're a yes man, you're you're not going to last very long in in uh, this industry. You, you have to to always know when to compliment your player, but you've also got to know when to 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 tell, be firm with them, and you know. You know, I always, Maria jokes around with me that it's very difficult on the practice court for me to give her a compliment. And maybe I should do it more. Like, if I say to her, like, wow, that was, that was really good. She goes, oh, okay, that was good. Okay. Nice to hear something positive. Like, you know, obviously on, on, on the match court, it's positive, 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 positive. But on the practice court, it's, I have a different approach. Like, it has to be really good for me to, um, to real show some like, I don't know, love as in like that was really really good.
1: I think the goal is to make the really good ordinary. So you should do something really really good to be ex- extraordinary, and then you transfer that really really good onto the match court, and hopefully your level should be rising and rising. Then, I'm not sure if that made any sense, but
0: it, 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 you're exactly right. But it's, I I want to have that kind of that that I want Maria to get the feeling that. If she does something that's good and she's thinking, oh, that was really good. I, I want her to look at me and have me expect that to be normal. Uh, for, for it to be really, really good, for me to actually be like, wow, that was really good. I'm expecting like elite, elite, elite. But it's that kind of pushing, pushing her, which it, it works, Maria. It, it motivates her to keep getting better and better and better.
1: Yes. Yes, very true. And tell me, Tom, are you, is Thomas Johansson still involved
0: uh well he's not involved in, in in our team anymore, but for me, uh he's I mean, I call him my mentor because when we work together, he he's such an unbelievably great coach, such an even unbelievably great guy. Even now, like he he, he texts I text him almost every day, even now. He just I I see him just as a really close friend. But he's there for me. Like if I if I want to ask him any question like you know, Pye, I'm trying to work on this with Maria. What do you think? Or if I'm trying to do this, what do you think? And he's he's always giving me advice, his opinion, and, and I'm so lucky to have that um, in in someone like him because there's not many people like him around in, in in this industry. But he's not he's not actually like an official part of the team. He's he's obviously Goffan, David Goffan's coach. Okay. Um, he he he's in Goffan's team, but for for me. He's just kind of like I see him as as my mentor.
1: It's it's great. To, it's great to have such a, a talented player and obviously somebody with so much experience in your corner and somebody to be able to ring. It's unbelievable. So you are you are the head coach. So at Maria,
0: yeah, um, Maria's team is is. Is just tennis would be myself. I'm her coach, her only coach. Her, that's the only person, her team for tennis. We've got Georgos, who's the fitness coach. And we've got Daniel, who started this year, who is the physio.
1: And he's traveling with you week on week when you're on the road. Well, was traveling.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, he started, uh, his first tournament was obviously Brisbane this year. Uh, and we share, we share him with Jennifer Brady. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's pretty much every week on, on, on the
1: road with us. Great. Well, look, hopefully we can get back on the tennis court soon. When, in your opinion, by the way, do you think will be the next WTA tournament with the current information that you have?
0: I mean, I feel like I've been given, like, kind of information that I'm not allowed to be telling anyone. <laughs> but uh...
1: I saw some WTA information last week from from the coaches. I, it was sent to me anonymously, and it's already out of date, the information that was sent last week. Yeah.
0: Uh, we get that's one of the positives of the WTA. They, they keep us updated quite a lot I also have Maria I'm, I'm speaking to Maria every day so she's also telling me what's being told to the players I think a lot of it is up in the air right now um I all I'm gonna say is that I'm I really hope that we're gonna get some some, some tournaments soon um I think there is gonna be a way to do it and I, and I hope I hope we can I think all we can hope is just that we get some kind of idea of a date, at least when we have a date of when something is likely to happen.
1: Yeah, we you can, can plan. then start
0: planning, okay, if travel opens up, I can get to you by this date and we can make it work on our side.
1: You'll be getting in a car, Tom, and driving down to Greece.
0: <laughs> you joke about it, but it may happen.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not joking. I'm serious. I have to go to Italy and I thought the same thing. I was like, I'm just going to get in the car. Drive down to Italy. I'll only, you know, get out of petrol stations, be careful, and I'll be down in Italy in whenever well, this summertime, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to do it. My wife will kill me. But uh, before we let you go here, I have two questions left for you. One, how old are you today?
0: I'm 25.
1: So are you one of the youngest coaches on probably the ATP and WTA Tour?
0: I mean, this would need to be fact checked, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm the youngest.
1: Great. Well, that's a, th- that must be like a dream. I I don't know of any coaches, very few that are like closer to thirty who are working full time gigs. Obviously, there's hitting partners out there, plenty of them. But I don't know of any coaches your age. So, uh, congratulations on getting yourself into a great position and working with some great players. Is there a young coach of the year award? Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I I don't think there is, but. Uh, i i i i want to put myself in the not the young coach just the the coach award
1: true true oh um, sorry sorry <laughs> i don't know. no th- th- yeah that's that's good great attitude to have, and secondly, your dad was a pro golfer, do you play golf?
0: Yeah, yeah, I golf. Uh, I'm obsessed with it. I'm, I'm counting down the days until I can actually like start start playing. I know golf courses have opened, but they've opened only for members, and I'm not a member of the club, so I'm just like, come on, like <laughs> let me just come and play.
1: To so just sneak in. And what's your handicap?
0: I actually, because I'm not a member, I don't have an official handicap. I always used to like to say eighteen, just because I get one shot a hole when I play with my dad, because obviously he's professional, plays off scratch. But nice. I I I believe. I believe if I'm fair, I'm a 12 12 handicap, but 18, I like to say, because I'm a bit of a bandit.
1: Okay. Yeah. You're trying to, you rob all our money. So you're trying to do.
0: Exactly. exactly. Why why make it more difficult?
1: I know. I know. Make it easier. But no, Tom, thank you very much for uh, jumping on the call. Appreciate it. It was great to get your great story and the great work you've done. No,
0: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed chatting with you.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tom. I thought it was great and it was great to get his advice and feedback on the different areas of tennis, speed from academies, college, or bits of info he's learned from working with such great players. Don't forget to give our Functional Tennis Podcast Instagram account a follow. And until next week, goodbye.